Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to our Movies Podcast for May. Coming up, we have the latest disc and cinema news. We'll also have a review of Wolverine at the cinema. On Blu-ray Desk, we review Frost, Nixon and Dog Soldiers, and we also tell you what's coming up on the AV Forum's Movies Review website. And joining me, as always, is the AV Forum's Movies Review team, and this month we have Mark Botwright. Hi, Mark. Indeed. And uh, also joining us is Alan Patterson. Hi, Alan. Indeed. And wrapping us up this week, for the new sections anyway, is our all-time friend, Simon Crust. Indeed. So we're going to kick off with the disc news, as we always do. And I'm going to go to Mark first. Mark, uh, Bubba Hotep. Yes, Bruce Campbell from the Evil Dead trilogy. Very much a cult actor in various circles. Basically starring as an ageing Elvis, who has to battle a 3,000-year-old Egyptian mummy. So certainly, certainly cult material. Now this has... Uh, quite a big cult following um simon i understand you're a bit of a fan of this as well yeah i um i uh, got this on major one dvd when it very very first came out or oh, years and years ago now um simply because of the name i thought my god bruce campbell aging elvis baba hotel this has got to be a got to be something to got to be something to see and uh i put it on and i watched it once and i watched it straight away again because it was just completely out there I'll let Mark tell you about the extras because they've got some spectacular extras on there. The, the highlight for me is Bruce Campbell in character as Elvis doing a commentary. It's it's genius, genius. <laughs> this is this is a must buy. So so Mark, maybe you can give us the uh, the details of the disc. Yeah, well, it looks absolutely packed because uh, I mean, first of all, the the commentary Bruce Campbell usually gives value for money on these kind of tracks uh, with director Don Cascarelli. Then you've got audio commentary by him as the king, as Elvis himself. So that should raise a few laughs. Basically, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes footage, uh, various featurettes about him as uh, the Elvis character and the like, and uh, UK premiere Q&A. It's pretty packed disc music video photo galleries just kind of filling out in between, but I think the main draw will be Bruce Campbell as Elvis giving an audio commentary. Yeah, that kind of sells it on its on its own, doesn't it? And uh, what what about the disc transfer wise and sound wise? Okay, uh, one point eight five to one, obviously ten eighty p. Runs just under an hour and a half. It should be out UK disc fifteenth uh, of June for about nineteen ninety nine. So street price will probably be a bit below that. Certainly, one fans of Bruce Campbell and the Evil Dead will be looking out for. Yep, it sounds like a, an excellent release. We'll move along to Alan. Alan. This one was supposed to be an all-out epic. It had uh, huge names in the cast list, but it ended up being a little bit of a, a damp squib at the end of the day, a towering inferno. 
Yeah, the Towering Inferno, um, in its day, 1974, um, you have to bear in mind that it came uh, in the wake of such great um, disaster movies as the Poseidon Adventure and Earthquake, which had sense around and all that kind of thing. Now, the Towering Inferno was one uh, about the world's tallest skyscraper, which had been built with the cheapest price. And really, um, it had great names. It had Fred Astaire, uh, William Holden, Paul Newman and Steve McQueen. Also had Faye Dunaway in there. Good director, John Guillerman. Uh, but then again, one of these things, um, you know, you get all the, the, the stars together, you get what appears to be a good story, and then it just didn't, didn't quite make it as a movie. Yeah, you, you find that your attention wanders. I mean, even though... Um, it won three uh, Academy Awards, ma- mainly for special effects. Um, when you see it nowadays, they kind of look a bit hokey. You can see back projection. But it's a thing of its time, really. And um, it was a big, big movie in its day. This was this was back in 74. Um, I remember it, uh, and I never actually got to see it in the cinema. I saw it on the telly when it was 4 by 3 which kind of took uh, a bit away from the movie because it was actually shot in, uh, in CinemaScope uh, 2.35 to 1. Uh, it's actually being released by 20th Century Fox. Uh, this is the American uh, release, so 20th Century Fox are quite famous for releasing their American titles only as a, a Region A, but of late some of their older catalogue titles have been coming out uh, you know, region free, so we could hope that maybe that's the case with this one. They've got a list price of $34.99 on this and it's got a street date of July the 14th it'll be interesting to see Um, it's quite a long movie, it's 165 minutes it would be the first time for me uh, to be able to see it in widescreen and obviously the quality as it's Blu-ray should be good enough to project so it should look good on a big screen, I don't know what the sound flavour is going to be, I I don't know if it's uh, uh, Dolby True HD or the DTS um, MA stuff um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, it's, it's a movie that I actually had great hopes for at the time, and it certainly was built up big. But you know, it, having having seen it on the telly only, it didn't quite live up to my expectations. Maybe it'll be better on a big screen. So yeah, a seventies classic coming here, Alan. Um, should be interesting. Simon, uh, you're going to tell us we're moving away from films just slightly. Uh, series a full series being released on Blu-ray and uh, it is a bit of a modern classic. Absolutely, Phil, yes, and that's uh, it's one of your favourites, I know that. This is the, uh, the revamped version of Battlestar Galactica and it's the entire series, series one to five, coming to Blu-ray from Universal Studios on the 28th of July. Now, it's, it's, the, the list price is, is quite large at $349.98. Chances are we'll be able to get that a little bit cheaper throughout the web enough you shop around. Um, however, even at that price, it's probably a bargain because the series is just astronomical. Um, it's gone from strength to strength to strength to strength. Even the full series, which was um, suffered from the writer's um, strike, was, was cut very, very short. They still maintained the momentum, and uh, the, the the cliffhanger at the end of it was spectacular, and it's just gone particularly brilliant. Uh, five discs, five series, um, with plenty of... Um, 
material here. You've got commentaries, you've got documentaries, you've got featurettes, you've got deleted scenes. Presumably this is all the stuff that you could get on the DVD stuff. But then you further over and above that, you have the, uh, the HD content. You've got U-Control, um, the Oracle, which is an interactive guide to uh, looking at the ships and characters. There's a Battlestar Actual, a glossary of all the unique terms. What the freak... I would think that was probably meant to say frack because that's their uh, swear word that they use in the series, isn't it? What the frack happened to you, new control series. Um, you can look through the history and connections of your characters. There's games, there's scenes, there's more featurettes. This is going to be a spectacular series. Um, spectacular Blu-ray comes to us at 1080p, 1.78 to 1 with a 5.1 DTS HD lossless master audio. I can't wait for this one. Um, I only hope we can review it on the site. Yeah, it's... I uh, haven't it, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's just say it's it's going to be the first time that I spend over £100 on, on any disc. Uh, this is a must-own. Um, I don't know if you other guys have seen the series, but for me, it, it was the drama that made the series. It wasn't the special effects. It wasn't the, the fact that it was a sci-fi series. I think it was the whole um, character development that went with it and the, and the characters that you actually cared about. Did any of you other guys catch this series? No, I'm still a great fan of the original series with Ben Cartwright. Uh, you would be. <laughs> Mark? No, I'm afraid I missed this. They're, they're well worth investing in because um, although they are individual episodes, each series has its own story arc and they, they just build from strength to strength. And like Phil says, the characters are just, you, you care about them. Even the little Weasley ones that you think, oh my God, I hope he gets squashed. You even actually, you care about these people. It's, it's fantastic. They, they, they each almost end on the cliffhanger. You have to watch them. When you get them on DVD, or Blu-ray, and you're, you watch an episode, to turn it off and go to bed is so difficult. I don't know how people can watch it um, on, on uh, Sky from week to week. It would just drive me absolutely crazy. Well, it did drive me crazy, but I just had to see, and I've got to say, it, it's one of the best payoffs ever uh, with the last episode. We're not going to give anything away, but it, it, they did the right thing. Whereas some series in the past, that they've been a bit of a damp squib when it comes to the end, or uh, they don't fulfil what the fans want. I think it's been universal, universally liked uh, mm. by all fans. So they really have finished the series on a, on a high. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Anyway, let's get back to the films. Um, and another uh, bit of a classic, cult classic, with Neil and I, Mark. Yep, very much a classic. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will be pleased to see this coming to Blu-ray finally. Uh, list price, £19.99. You're basically... The quintessential tale of the end of the 60s, changing of eras and two actors hitting midlife, well, fairly drunkenly, basically, directed by uh, Bruce Robinson. It's very much in the mould of the classic English uh, comedies of the time in that it takes a very irreverent view of um, the male ageing process in many ways and uh, basically the end of an era. Screen aspect ratio of 1.77 to 1. Only damp squib, perhaps, is uh, only seems to be listed as Dolby Digital 2.0 stereo. But I think with something quite as highly regarded as this, and it's regularly in the top echelons of the any kind of internet list of the greatest movies of all time, certainly in the greatest British movies of all time, I, I don't think too many people will be complaining. So long as it gets a clean transfer, I can't see what the problem is. Yeah, um, I've got to say, I've never seen this movie. Um, 
Should I Phil. should I be going and buying this, Alan? Absolutely, Mark, Simon. I'm not I think you'll sure. be going to see it, and I think you should get yourself a Campbell carrot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Indeed. gone completely over my head there, but never mind. So, uh, uh, Alan, uh, the quintessential tale of the end of the sixties and uh, of men getting older. Do you relate to this? <laughs> Thanks very much. Well, I'm not entirely sure about that. This, this business of getting older, they say it's all in your mind. Um, but I, I think, uh, I'm sorry, I've kind of lost the track here. It's, it's old age. Are we still talking about with, with Neil and I? <laughs> yeah, what else would we be talking about? <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, with Neil and I was one of these pictures that um, I, I never got into very much. It seemed it was a low-budget thing at the time, and... Basically, a lot of guys wandering around on moors, uh, thinking about how miserable they are and all that kind of thing. It didn't really turn me on. Um, I know it made a star of um, um, the, the chap Grant, whatever his name Richard, was. Richard E. Richard E. Richard E. Grant. Made him um, a household name in your mind. It did, yes. And instantly, uh, something I can easily remember. Um, but it's it wasn't my kind of picture, to be honest. And over the years, it seems to have built up a bit of a cult following, and I've still, man, I've still, I've always tried to get into it, but it's just turned me off. It just never hooked me in this picture. It's one of those films that hit very much with a kind of core um, student audience in many yeah. ways. The drinking culture surrounding it and the like, and it's, it seems to become a, a cult classic with each generation. But, you know, for those people who were around at the time and kind of students of, of the era, it struck quite a chord with them. I think it's an absolute classic. It's a brilliant film, eminently quotable. The two main characters, Richard E. Grant, plays the best drunk you could ever, ever see, and he's, in fact, teetotal, so how he managed to do that is incredible. Some of the things he does... Oh, I, 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 don't, I want to say some of the lines, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm doing this podcast by mistake. You know? <laughs> I've gone on holiday by mistake. It's just that there's some incredible lines in it. It's, it's watchable. The Campbell carry you just mentioned there... <laughs> I'm just laughing thinking about it. I haven't seen it for oh a good couple of years now. Instantly you say the name, it all comes flooding back to me. Paul McGann, Richard E. Garn, Richard Griffiths. The, the, oh, just get it. Brilliant. Fantastic. Okay, Has Ma to be seen. Best drinking game of all. Mark, what was the release date for that one again? Uh, that'll be out 15th of June. Okay, and uh, let's move on and uh, talk about uh, probably one of the biggest classics uh, when we're talking about animation and uh, we're going to go to Alan for this one, Snow White Ah yes, Snow White I'll give it his full title, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs it was the first picture I ever saw and I'll just clear things up very quickly by saying I didn't see it on its initial release back in 1937, I actually saw it probably around about 1962 um, it was deemed safe to take uh, someone to see and I guess I would have been about five or six at the time I came out of the cinema thinking Wow, look at that. And the story, um, it was a simple story. It had great songs. I was too young at the time to appreciate the animation, but over the years it's grown and it's grown with me. I, I love Disney animations. And, you know, nowadays we don't have Disney time on the telly every bank holiday and we don't get the uh, clips from Snow White every bank holiday. So it's nice to see Snow White coming out in Blu-ray. Um, hopefully, and I'm... Um, sure they will do a very good transfer of this um, the most recent things that they've done like Pinocchio, they've, they've done a very good job of it, made it nice and clean um, they've 
I felt with Pinocchio, maybe they took some of the atmosphere out, but, you know, Snow White, uh, going back to the original uh, material, uh, they should do a very nice clean-up job on it. Um, it's, again, we're going to have this in the original format. It's quoted as 1.37 to 1, which is, I think is wrong. It should actually be 1.33 to 1, because only silent films are made in 1.37 to 1. It's, I don't know about the sound. I'm sure they'll remix it into one of the more recent digital formats. It's something for everyone who loves Disney, who remembers Disney as they've grown up through their childhood and have a great affection for it. I'll bet it's got piles and piles of extra features, um, the sort of thing that reviewers just love to do. And um, it's coming out, actually, it's a few months before it comes out. It doesn't come out until October the 6th. Um, they've got a list price of $39.99, as we're talking about the American disc here. Um, 83 minutes long, not terribly long for a film, but pretty long for an animation. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing it, uh, simply from the fact that I like Disney films. Mm. I don't I, think I, so. They're, they're pretty much timeless, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They they, they were made for, um, to be viewed by children of all ages, um, and I think you can still do that. You um, any any of the the, the releases that, are, that have come out from Disney that they've you know on on the Blu-ray, all the ones that they've done the the, the Pinocchio that was mentioned, and all the others, they're all spectacular releases, um, and they they've really gone all out to give the best production that they can on the blu-ray with the picture the sound and all the extras that go with it and there's no reason to think why um snow uh what are we talking about <laughs> <laughs> snow white and the seven dwarves snow white, snow white. <laughs> no reason to think why snow white and the seven dwarves isn't going to be given exactly the same treatment um i just hope we don't have the same sort of arguments that were, that were rife on the on the web about the uh if they've altered the color or the aspect ratio because you know, Disney, surely, if anyone knows what a Disney film looks like, it's Disney. Mm. Yeah, but given that he's been dead for several years, though. Yeah. We will get the arguments about the aspect ratio, because that happens every time. And, you know, you've just got to realise that the best version of a film is in the same format that it was made. Um, you know, Disney tried to pander to the uh, widescreen generation with Pinocchio by providing a, a kind of a um, graphic element that they could overlay on top of the picture so that the, you didn't have black bars either side of the, the 4 by 3 image on a widescreen telly. Um, you know, I just think, let's see it the way it was made. Yeah, you just yeah. have to look at the forums to see the type of arguments that go on around these, but like you say, you've got to see it as it was intended to be seen, and... Uh, even that causes arguments amongst people. <laughs> so you can't please everybody all the time. But moving from Snow White to Train Spotting, you can see the link there. And uh, Simon, you're going to tell us about the Ultimate Collector's Edition coming out in Blu ray. Well, Phil, um, I will uh, tell you about Train Spotting. Indeed, I will. Um, because I know it's a film, another film very close to your heart. Because, uh, you know, you just live down the road from where it was filmed, I believe. Is that correct? Um, well, actually, it was filmed. It's supposed to be in Edinburgh, and it was most of it was filmed in Glasgow, uh, believe it or not. But yes, it is uh, one of my all-time favourites. But please tell mm. us a bit, a bit more about the disc, and I'll a little bit more about it. Okay, this is um, 
a UK release. It's coming to Blu-ray on the 1st of June from uh, 4 DVD, which uh, I think is an offshoot of film 4. Again, plenty, plenty of extras. There's a 40-minute feature of the memories of train spotting, which forgive me if, if I get this wrong, but I think that's a new feature, not been seen before. We've got um, deleted scenes. There's uh, looks of the film now and then, sounds of the film now and then, the beginning. Archive interviews with the writer Irving Walsh uh, behind the needle. Obviously, something about the drugs and the uh, the. the this is a very anti-drug film, um, and anyone who says, says it promotes drugs is completely wrong and haven't seen it, or is completely taken the wrong message from it. It's uh, doesn't um, promote drugs in any way, shape, or form. Um, in fact, this uh, this film um, was responsible for for turning my um, my taste in film from the gutter of horror into more mainstream. Because there's a particular scene in it. Um, I don't think there's any reason why I can't say. Which when um, the 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 four or five of them wake up from their you know, their heroin induced coma to find the baby dead and uh sick boy is screaming over the baby and uh it's um was quite a shock to me to see that i never think i mean i've seen some really horrific stuff and that one scene affected me more than anything i've seen before and uh it turned me much more towards mainstream film and um, i'm forever thankful for for danny ball to doing that um and it's it's very very powerful very very powerful film um worth seeing if you haven't seen it um but going back to the disc there's Plenty on there. You've got interviews with Danny Boyle, um, Ewan McGregor. Uh, there's Cannes, because um, it won all sorts of um, awards at Cannes. There's the snapshot there, the Vox Pops. There's trailers, there's galleries, there's commentaries. Um, this looks to be a major, major release uh, coming to the UK and not to the US at the moment, I believe. That's going to be £21.99 um, on the 1st of June. Which is strange um, that it's not being released in the States because normally with this, the, the way it has gone in the past is that the States always got the, the uncut version and, and um, in the UK we suffered. And it'll be interesting to see whether mm-hmm. this is uh, the full uncut version or not. Do you know, know what will be interesting for me in this movie? Um, the uh, I remember one scene, the dirtiest toilet in Glasgow, or I, yeah. I guess it's meant to be the dirtiest toilet in Edinburgh, um, when... Uh, I think it was on VHS, and I had just got my first surround sound amplifier. You could hear the flies flying around the toilet, <laughs> around your head. Yeah. So I'm, I'll bet that sounds really good in a DTS HD Master Audio uh, 5.1. You know? Yeah, but it's not. It's not. It's not really a scene you want to watch again. And again. <laughs> Probably not. Really. Um, that it's interesting you mentioned that scene because. Um, I actually went to see uh, one of the premiere screenings when it was first released in Edinburgh, and it's something I will never forget. Is is a cinema that was absolutely packed out with locals that just completely got the whole um, pop culture and all the references to to the city and so on. It was it was a great experience. But that scene that you're talking about, there, he actually walks out of there um, and back into the bookies because it's the bookies that he's gone into. Um, and it's been cut from every other version that I've, I've ever watched. So it'd be interesting to see if that scene ever is um, mm. reinserted into the film, um, because that that got one of the biggest laughs um, yeah. of 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 the whole of the whole screening. Um, it is one of those films. You're right. What you say, Simon, about the the whole drug thing. It is very anti-drug. Um, but the real appeal for me is the characters. You just 
learn to love these Torags. Um, and they are Torags. They, they are um, scummy characters, but, but the humour and the camaraderie and then the backstabbing, it's just draws you really into into the movie and it's just one of those movies that I absolutely adore and I haven't seen it for years so I'm definitely going to get this on Blu-ray for sure indeed yes indeed indeed so going from uh, train spotting and uh, the scene where he goes into the toilet he goes in deep doesn't he Alan uh, he, he certainly does and uh, it's a perfect link to The Deep uh, which is coming from Sony Home Entertainment uh, on July the 7th this year um, a lot of people might not remember this movie um, it came out as a result of the fact that it was written by Peter Benchley who had actually written Jaws and in the mid 70s Jaws was a, a great big movie uh, everybody was going to see it and the sequels so Columbia obviously thought hey let's get a sequel out or something similar by the same author and we'll get the same number of bums on seats uh, sadly I don't think it was quite the case um, it was a, an interesting enough film it starred Nick Nolte, Jacqueline Bizet, uh, Louis Gossett Jr and Robert Shaw um, it was about a couple, couple of holiday makers who um, go scuba diving and they, they, they come across a wreck which has ampoules of drugs in it um, and it's all about the, uh, the machinations of the, the Louis Gossett Jr's, Jr.'s character to uh, try and get hold of all the drugs uh, there's giant eels there's um, uh, various bits of um, uh, bits of bits of fights and violence and there's a, a very scary cycle chase if you can imagine a cycle chase being scary uh, it's a movie it didn't actually entertain I felt at the time and I think that was probably the biggest criticism of it but it was quite scary um, it was it put the characters weren't superheroes at all they were everyday people and um, the one main reason to watch this movie is to see uh, Jacqueline Bissett in a wet t-shirt um, with very little else uh, on and um, that's my uh, memory of that movie uh, that will stay with me forever uh, it's, it was shot quite nicely in uh, Cinemascope 2.35 to 1 on, 1080, on a 1080p transfer it should be good because it looked good um, hopefully they'll do a nice transfer of it and the sound's going to be Adobe True HD 5.1 surround so it would be nice to see that movie again if only to sort of transport uh, myself back to 1977 and see Jacqueline Bissett again you know Boyhood wet dreams. Yes, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, I think that wraps up our desk news for this month. And uh, we're going to be back in a few seconds with the cinema news. The latest news, the biggest features, and the best reviews. This is the AV Forums podcast. So we're, uh, we're going to kick in straight away with the uh, cinema news and what's coming to the big screen this month. To kick us off, it's a sequel. Although not a, uh, a direct sequel, if I remember rightly. Angels and Demons. Tell us all about it, Alan. Angels and Demons, uh, um, as you say, is, is the follow-up to The Da Vinci Code. Um, basically, Tom Hanks reprises his, his role as Robert Langdon, and he's summoned to the Vatican City to investigate a murder. He discovers it's, it's more than just a simple murder because the, the most powerful underground organisation in history is involved, the Illuminati. The trailer looks very, very good, but then again, they always do. Um, this movie's also got Ewan McGregor and Stellan Skarsgård in it. Um, Stellan, you'll remember, was in um, Mamma Mia. Um, 
the good thing about this movie is it's directed again by Ron Howard, who did The Da Vinci Code. And now Ron Howard is what I call a proper director. Um, everybody remembers him as Richie Cunningham in the Happy Days TV series. But um, look at the movies he's done in the past, the Apollo 13 and various others that have all been a very good quality movie that sucked the audience in. Um, I forget the fact that it's a follow-up to the Da Vinci Code uh, for me. Uh, the thing that will get me to watch this movie is the fact that it's directed by Ron Howard. And that's due out on the 14th of May. Yeah, Ron Howard, who also di- uh, directed Willow. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. not a bad movie, though. Uh, come on. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> uh, I've got it, yeah. <laughs> it was almost as bad as Howard the Duck. <laughs> 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 but yes, his his uh, material recently has been very, very good, Ron Howard. He, he does know what he's doing. Um, so Angels and Demons, would you recommend it, Alan? Is it is it going to be better than The Da Vinci Code? Because I was disappointed with, with the film version of that. Yeah, it's hard to tell, uh, really, without seeing the movie. I've, I've only seen the trailer, but there's, there was enough there to hook me to get me interested in it. Um, it you know, the the story of the Illuminati who were basically picked upon by the, the Catholic Church uh, way back. The story is that they're now getting their own back. Uh, and that sounds like uh, quite an interesting story. Um, and it, it looked very exciting. Uh, if there's a, an award for the best trailer in, uh, in the year, I think that this one should get it because it's a very good trailer. Yeah, going to disagree with you again, Star Trek. Right, let's move on. <laughs> um, and Sherry, um, it's coming out on the 8th of May. Tell us a little bit about this, guys. Yeah, Sherry, um, is, it purports to be a love story set in 1920s Paris uh, about an ageing courtesan who embarks on an affair with a 19-year-old playboy. This is, in, in hearing that, you almost think, oh, blimey, somebody's taken the story as Gigi turned, turned it on its head and taken the songs out. Um, in actual fact, this is a movie that um, looks fantastic. It's very well shot. I, I don't know who the cameraman was, um, but it stars Michelle Pfeiffer, and it's got Kathy Bates. Uh, the, the 19-year-old playboy is Rupert Friend. It's been directed by Stephen Frears, who did The Queen recently, and uh, also... Uh, Basically, the, the scriptwriter is Christopher Hampton, who who gave us Atonement recently, but we won't hold that against we won't hold that against him. Um, it's, it it looks like a good story. It, it's not one of these big big action adventure movies, but I think there's enough going on in it just to hook the right kind of audience. It's got me interested enough just from the fact the fact that it looks so beautiful. Um, the, the, you know, some something you can say that it's it's not enough for something to be well shot it has to have a good story there's enough there um, from the trailer as far as far as I could see that um, it might make quite a, an entertaining movie the, the putting it along the, the, the lines of something similar to Les Liaisons Dangereux or Dangerous Liaisons as it was as a film um, so I, I quite enjoyed that so I, I think I might enjoy this movie and at the end of the day, the release date is the 8th of May, so uh, we don't have a long time to wait to see it. And certainly, uh, it, it's probably an interesting title. And, of course, uh, we've also got our first sequel of uh, of this summer, and uh, Night at the Museum. Um, I can't remember the first one being very good. Uh, tell us about this one. 
Well, the night, night at the Museum 2, uh, Battle of the Smithsonian, as you say, is the follow-up to the first uh, Night at the Museum. Um, again, it stars Ben Stiller. He's back, and he, he turns... He turns up again as the ultimate night watchman uh, in Night of the Museum 2. Uh, the, the first one uh, was, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first one up to the point where they had a, a very uh, end, kiddie ending. And it is a kiddie's film at the end of the day. But the CGI was excellent. The animation was very good. Um, this one involves other characters like Abe Lincoln's statue comes to life and um, there's a few more things without adding any spoilers. It looks like it might be a good bit of fun, this one, and maybe they've learned from the previous one uh, to widen it out to a bit more of an adult audience as well as for the kids. The release date on that is the 21st of May. Okay, so at Night at the Museum, uh, sounds like it's going to be exactly the same as the first one. And Chris has just come in the door. He's just been to see Wolverine. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hello, everybody. I'm sorry I'm late. So, uh, obviously, you've been out to see this. It was released uh, this weekend. Uh, You've been dressing up. You've been falling off things, hurting your ribs and so on. But the film, what's, what's a film like? Should people be going out to see it? Yeah, um, as everyone knows, I'm a massive fan of Wolverine. Just behind Batman, he's my, my you know my next favourite um, superhero of all time. Uh, now, <laughs> the X Men movies, Brian Singer's first two, and uh, is it Brett Ratner's. Um, people don't like the third X Men movie, but I actually do quite like it. I think it's a great comic book movie, and that's a very important um, element to bear in mind when watching X Men Origins Wolverine because. It is just a comic book movie. Whereas Brian Singer found depth, soul, character, and real meaning to the whole, you know, theme of mutants in this sort of, you know, near future world um, and their conflicts with normal humans. Um, this film just chooses to have lots and lots of action scenes and tell you absolutely nothing about Wolverine as a character. Uh, it's just purely set piece after set piece after set piece. You have, like Watchmen, you have a fantastic opening title sequence, um, which again is elaborate, tricksy, uh, visually splendid, and it shows Wolverine, at the time just Logan, hasn't inherited the name Wolverine as yet, and his half-brother, Victor Creed, who we all know becomes Sabretooth. Um, and the two of them go through all the wars that America, well, North America, has ever gone through, even though they're Canadians. They still fight in the American Civil War, they still fight um, on D-Day, in the First World War, and Vietnam. Um, and it's a great, tremendous sequence. It's bravura, it's uh, visually inventive, and it's pretty violent. And it you know, does what it says on the tin. These two guys are, are killing machines. They obviously have a lust for blood, uh, which Wolverine in this sequence seems to lose when Victor Creed seems to go overboard um, for the same sort of thing. And then it sort of they get drafted into a special ops team uh, run by uh, Commander Stryker, who was, uh, as we all saw in X2, was the guy who put the adamantium onto Wolverine's bones. Um, he has lots of nefarious schemes to do with mutants, um, and Wolverine figures quite heavily in these, but in a saga which is filled with plot holes bigger than um, a black hole in space, for lack of a better phrase, uh, you know, it all amounts to nothing. Um, Hugh Jackman did say, and he's heavily involved in the whole production of this movie, so a lot, you know, this rests on his rather um, steroid-enhanced shoulders. Sorry, 
sorry, Hugh, I know you didn't take steroids, but, you know, it looks so pumped, man, you know. He said at the end of this movie, you could imagine Wolverine walking off the end of this movie into the opening scene when you first see him in the first X-Men movie. Sadly, that's not the case at all. Um, there's no flesh on the bones other than the adamantium um, in this movie. You just see Wolverine turning his back on violence and then having endless, endless um, violent spats with his half-brother. Uh, the whole Weapon X program is squandered. Let's face it, StrikerNet spends billions of American uh, defense money on creating this ultimate weapon, only to then almost immediately order him to be wiped out and decapitated. You know, if you've just made him indestructible, it's not going to happen, is it? You have um, a, a really rather ridiculous Marlon Park Kent style old couple who take the nude and frightened uh, Wolverine in. And within seconds of giving him their son's leather jacket, which, of course, is the classic leather jacket of Wolverine, uh, which a lot more time is bestowed upon the giving of this jacket than any sort of uh, character build-up or any sort of you know, way into you know, his thought patterns, why he's doing what he's doing, why he wants to quiet life, why he's turned his back on um, the violence uh, and his animal instincts. The jacket takes you know, more predominance than that. And this couple get wasted. I mean, this means nothing. The spoilers are, are, are plenty. In the opening sequences, you, you've got all the mutants, you know, in this uh, strikers, you know, mercenary hit squad, um, and they're squandered, utterly squandered. You've got Deadpool there, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Is it Ryan Reynolds? I can't remember now. I think it is. Uh, who was a great comedy and action, you know, sort of actor, and he's in the film for like whoa, what five minutes. Um, and a great fan favourite character of Deadpool, the wise-cracking, acerbic, you know, smart-ass mutants. Mutant healing powers, he can combat anybody, he can take on Wolverine and have a damn good laugh whilst doing it. And he's utterly wasted here. Think Darth Maul, you know, think Venom from Spider-Man 3. Shoehorned in, you know, these people like him have their own movie. And there's a lot of talk about Deadpool having his own offshoot to this as well. I don't know how the hell they're going to do it after what they've done. To, they butchered him in this completely. Um, on the plus side, though, there is lots of action. Um, Hugh Jackman is definitely trying his best to, you know, portray the character that's made him so famous. Uh, and, you know, he, he looks the part, apart from the hair, which is a point I'll come on to a little bit later on. But you know, there's no real meat to this. There's no story. It's so chopped, and you know slapdash you zoom from one sequence to another with no sort of linear narrative really uh, it's it's all done by committee there's a David Benioff wrote the script for this and you know there's, there's absolutely it's a hack job without a doubt it's like Wolverine has, has written it with his, his claws out it's just all over the place scratch to hell um, so <laughs> who who come and see this the fans have despised it Um and let's be honest, the film was leaked out quite some time ago. Fox well and truly shot themselves in the foot. They've gone on at length about like how the, the version that got leaked out isn't the finished version. Um, plenty out there who've seen that version and have now seen the cinema note, seen the cinema print, know that there was not a lot of difference in it, really. Um, so they've just seemed to have given up on it. The effects are 
I'd say 60, 40. 60% of them are good, 40% are quite woeful. There's a lot of match shots in there. There's a lot of really crazy looking effects, which don't look fully rendered. And the film looks pretty grainy as well, which I was quite surprised about. I thought it'd be a bit more of a, um, a spangly sort of aesthetic to it, but it didn't have that. Um, the acting, apart from Jackman and Liv Schreiber, who is um, Sabretooth, not that he's called Sabretooth, he's just Victor Creed. Uh, he's wonderful. I've got, I've got to say, I thoroughly uh, was taken in by his performance. He is just a, a growly um, mutant uh, out warmonger. And that's what the character should be. It's great. You don't really want any, uh, you don't want him spouting dialogue. You don't want him, like, you know, um, <laughs> expounding on the uh, culture and anything like that. You just want lots and lots of skirmishing between him and Wolverine, which at least the film does do. Uh, so he's great. But <laughs> the rest of them, you've got uh, Danny Houston and the striker. Uh, I've seen some reviews where they're saying he's actually quite good. I, I thought he was pretty lousy, to be honest. Uh, I went in very open-minded about it and kind of hoping, you know, ignoring the naysayers and thinking, well, ah, it's going to be a comic movie. And in that respect, it most certainly is. So if you go in as a non-fan with your brain switched off and just wanting mucho carnage and, you know, bizarre courageous, yeah, you'll be fairly happy. So, you know, <laughs> make of that what you will. Okay, well, uh, thanks, thanks for that brief roundup, Chris. And uh, uh, obviously, that's one of the big movies that's out there at the moment. Are, are you going to give it a thumbs up, thumbs down, or uh, should people go and see it? Uh, yeah, they should come and see it in the right frame of mind. Yeah, bear in mind it's it's not as thought provoking or as in depth as Brian as what Brian Singer would do. So it's not the Wolverine movie that everybody probably hoped for. But if you go and expecting like, okay, here's the best analogy for you. The animated Marvel spin-off movies, it's like them. They're enjoyable while they last, but they don't really add anything to the mythos. They're not um, what you want them to be, you know, in terms of great storytelling. Wolverine is just a generic action movie, but it happens to feature one of you know, the world's most popular action heroes at the moment. Okay, thanks, Chris. So there you go. If if you want to go and see it, obviously take Chris's uh, opinions on board. Um, and the other big movie coming eighth of May is Star Trek. Are we all going to go and see it? Yes. No. Indeed. Yes. Mark, Mark, did you just say no? Yeah, I said no. And uh, why? Not a big fan of George Lucas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay it just looks a little bit too much like for me uh dawson's creek in space it it's uh, I, I think they've lost some of the character of the of the actors with the, you know they're they're all too good looking and there's inevitably going to be a happy ending and i'd prefer to see uh william shatner bloated and alone <laughs> Yeah, but you've got to wait years and years for that. <laughs> yeah, true, true. But, it, you know, it, the lead actor could pile on the weight, put on a corset and lose his hair, and then I'll start watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, that is the best, the best roundup of a star story, Star Trek film. Star Wars. <laughs> star Wars. <laughs> 
Oh, it's all I getting do like silly. lightsabers, though. Anyway, Star Trek. It's out next week. Uh, I have no doubt there's going to be plenty of people on the forums going to go and see it. It's not a George Lucas film, so don't panic, people. And uh, that wraps up our cinema news for this month. Contact the AV Forums podcast. Email podcast at avforums.com. You're listening, you're listening, you're listening to the AV Forums podcast. Anyway, we're going to kick on with uh, some disc reviews. And we're going to go to Alan first. Alan, you've been looking at Frost Nixon on uh, Blu-ray. So tell us a little bit about the film. Okay, Frost Nixon. It's probably, I would say, the best film I've seen this year. And uh, I think it's going to take... uh, something really special to better it in actual fact and who would have believed that I would be actually taken in by a a film that was about a TV interview at the end of the day that's what it boils down to Uh, the Frost Nixon interview that was was recorded in the 1970s Um, I was obviously a teenager at that time it was going on I didn't pay that much attention to it but it was really a momentous occasion in TV history. It was really a showdown between the two giants, uh, between uh, David Frost and um, Richard Nixon, the American president. Um, Historians will recall the fact that uh, Nixon left office shortly after the Watergate scandal and, um, you know, the American public never really forgave him for it. And um, David Frost, who was perhaps what you might call quite a lightweight presenter, had aspirations to be become a heavyweight, and he saw that if he was able to um, have a, an interview with Nixon, it would sell well, it would put bums on seats, and it would make him uh, into the, probably the uh, most well-known TV interviewer in the world. Each each party had their own uh, their own uh, objectives. Nixon uh, figured that he could actually control the conversation because this guy, this limey that was coming over to do it, was just a bit of a lightweight, and he himself would be able, be able to control the conversation and perhaps maybe undo some of the damage that had been done to his political career. And certainly, uh, he was hoping to be able to pocket a, a good, quick buck for doing the the interviews. So um, the American public were desperate to hear their president apologise for letting them down, and that's what the, the hook was there. Uh, now, anybody who thinks that this is going to be a very dry or highbrow subject, they really are kidding themselves. Um, I like action movies like anyone else, but this movie really really had me riveted it was like watching a boxing match but with words instead of fists it's not an original film that would be given the wrong impression it actually started out as a play by the writer Peter Morgan at the Donmar Warehouse in London before it moved on to run in New York and the play also starred Michael Sheen as uh, David Frost and Frank Langella as Nixon Michael Sheen's performance is absolutely fantastic he um, plays a he plays Frost with a really spooky mimicry. Um, and you have to bear in mind that Michael Sheen, this isn't just a one-off. He's recently accurately portrayed Kenny Williams, Tony Blair, and Brian Clough. Now, we get introduced to him as Frost uh, while hosting a, a popular Australian TV chat show where he has the idea uh, of how, uh, how to produce a, a, an audience-busting series of interviews and He's thinking at that point, who would he interview to take the world by storm? And then 
we cut to the London weekend television canteen and he's queuing for lunch with John Burt. And that's the same John Burt that's the, the former director general of the BBC. At that time, he was a young, upwardly mobile producer. Uh, and uh, he's played by Matthew Mc, McFadden in the movie and he's very, very good. Um, Frost outlines the plans that he, he wants to take Burt to take leave of absence to come and produce his interviews. And Frost actually arranges the interviews with a $200,000 upfront payment out of his own pocket to Nixon. To the red corner, you've got Frost and his two researchers, Bob Zelnick, played by Oliver Platt, and James Reston Jr., played by Sam Rockwell, with John Burt hovering around. And in the blue corner, you've got Nixon with his aide, Jack Brennan, who's played very well by Kevin Bacon, and a team of his people are all there, there in attendance. Now, the series of six interviews took place over a period of months in 1977, and as Frost's performance improves, we see the pressure on him increase daily. And by the time of the final interview, Frost knows he has to throw a killer punch in an attempt to get an apology from the former president of the United States for the mistakes or his own reputation is going to be in ruins and he's going to be broke into the bargain because he's funded the production of the, the, the filming of the interviews. So, Alan, you're saying that this is your favourite film of the year. Exactly why uh, is that? I think it's probably because I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was. I was expecting something that wouldn't hold my attention, and yet I was really hooked by this film. And it's the fact that there's two fantastic performances. You actually don't think you're watching two actors. You think you're watching the real people. They really are Frost and Nixon. And you'll he we hear a much hackneyed modern phrase. People say he really does inhabit the role and I try not to use that, but at the end of the day, I have to come back to that phrase because it's the only thing I can think of that describes it. Uh, not only does Michael Sheen inhabit the role of Frost, the same applies to Frank Langella and Nixon, but at the end of the day, I think Frank Langella's performance is the better. Um, it really is something... It, it, I said before it's like watching a boxing match but with words and that is how it is you're wondering how Frost is going to get his money back from this you're wondering how Nixon's going to pull off his um, his um, revamping of his image and you're hoping that he's going to get tripped up because he's probably the, the cockiest of the two and you know it, it, it keeps you the word is hooked. Um, so, Alan, uh, despite yep. us knowing um, you know, the history behind the whole thing, watching yep. the movie, who is it you're rooting for, if you're rooting for anyone in particular? You're kind of rooting for David Frost, but he seems a bit too smooth. But then again, you, I, I, <coughs> excuse me, I had certain sympathies for Nixon because he seemed like a nice guy. Uh, <laughs> or the way he was portrayed, he seemed like a nice guy. And you didn't yeah. want to see this man who had basically given his his whole life to his country, um, who got tripped up by a couple of events um, and maybe making the wrong decision. Um, but at the end of the day, you couldn't take away from the fact that he was a great statesman and a great PR man and he handled himself in interviews tremendously well. Um, I, I sort of hoped that he wouldn't trip him up and yet a part of me um, was saying, oh, come on, you've got to tell the truth. 
So does he come across as the villain of the piece? Um, he comes across as a f- sympathetic character, but at the end of the day, I, you you realise that he um, has thought that he has had the power to do almost what he wants and get away with it, and that has to be wrong anywhere. See, I mean, Langell has played um, charismatic bad guys a few times before, most yeah. notably as Dracula. I um, remember that well. A, a, a seductive, but also very, very obviously evil and uh, manipulate, manipulative sort of person. So, you know, he has got a pedigree with this kind of thing anyway. Yeah. But he's in this role, he's just not... He, he doesn't come across as the out-and-out bad guy. He, he comes across as perhaps maybe maybe the president's just a little bit mad, like he can't remember what he's done and things like that. Um, well, there's been a few of those. Oh, yes. <laughs> who, who genuinely can't remember what they've done. So, Alan, is there, is there quite a bit of dramatic license being taken with this? Or, um, I mean, how, how close do you think it is to what actually happened? Well, I, I've no doubt at all that they, they've, they've um, uh, taken some poetic license with reality. Um, but... It's all done in the best possible taste, you might say. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. In, in order to bring out the drama, you know, um, basically, uh, if you're making uh, a, a movie, say you were filming a documentary, uh, you could perhaps be filming for a year, and you would just take the little snippets out and jam them together to make your 50-minute documentary that were the best bits. And this is what they've done with this. They've taken the salient points out just enough to, um, to to make it work, to give you the story. And bear in mind also it was a play before it was a movie, so it was mostly written, albeit some of the scenes from the play weren't used in, in the final film. But I have to say it's, it's a cracking movie, and it comes down to the fact, again, it's done by one of my, my favourite modern directors, uh, Ron Howard. Um, he knows how to make people become involved by humanness and that, that's probably not a word but he understands what makes people like care for, relate to um, become involved with characters and that's through their humanness, the fact that they do things that perhaps we do or perhaps seeing ourselves in the similar position we might have done the same thing um, and it takes... That is special for me as a director. There are so many directors these days who, um, if in doubt, let's ha- let's have a bit of fancy camera work. Let's have a bit of CGI here. Let's bump up the music. Let's cut it like a pop video. For Christ's sake, just tell the story well. That's sure. what I say, you know? Yeah, and uh, just me playing uh, Frost for a second, and you can be Nixon. Um, uh, Alan, who are you trying to kid? A teenager in the 70s? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I know. <laughs> I keep saying that. Nobody believes me, you know. <laughs> but and I, I was about 1977. I would have been <laughs> 17. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, we all know it was Forrest Gump that made the phone call about Watergate as well, wasn't it? So, That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, in terms of uh, of a Blu-ray disc, um, how does how does it stack up, picture and sound wise? Well, the picture is very, very good indeed. Um, That's something that could really have sunk it if it hadn't been good. Um, You know, at the end of the day, 
it's, it's a 1080p VC1 transfer uh, and it's framed at 2.35 to 1. The other thing I would point out to viewers here is that this movie, uh, the American disc, is also region free, uh, which is rather nice to know. Um, skin tones in the interview room look good. Uh, I, I say that because there's very directional lighting used. Um, you know, you have light from one a source like a, a broad source, like a window, um, and it casts shadows. And because of this, black levels are very important. They're nice and deep. Um, the image is pin sharp as well. And one thing I noticed is during the interviews, a, a piece of dust would be picked out by some of the lighting, and you would see it floating in the air. And it was such a, a sharp image and so almost 3D that you felt you, I had to resist the temptation to reach out and grab that bit of dust. Um, uh, I'm easily fooled by things like that. Uh, so in, in the final interview, you can actually see the sweat on Nixon's top lip. It's, it's easy to see. And the sharpness really aids believability for this because the secret of a, a kind of a two-hander like this is it's all to do with the eyes. And we, as we can focus clearly on the eyes, we can, we're looking for signs that either character's lying, bluffing, or being sincere. Um, grain, you can, there's a bit of grain visible, and, but it's where you're meant to see it because um, the supporting characters, uh, the guy who plays uh, John Burt and the two researchers, they're actually filmed in a piece of camera and, you know, that's inserted into the movie. It's meant to be actuality and there's, it's grainy. It's been made to look like a bit 16mm um, and it looks good and you're actually being, their characters are being embedded into the movie so you're not seeing them as a an actor play, playing a character you're seeing them as the character um, period TV footage that's used, obviously it's grainy because it's been blown up to, to fill the widescreen frame, it's meant to look like that uh, this is a, really is a transfer that, that's very very pleasing to watch I, I was very impressed with this the sound, well bear in mind <clears throat> this is a film that really relies upon uh, dialogue being crisp and clean. Um, if if it's not, if it's muddy, that would have ruined the whole film. Um, it's locked to the centre channel generally, and only the, the surround speakers are generally used to kick in when there are other people in the interview room. Uh, you know, when they're setting up shots and all that kind of stuff, you, you can hear them in, on the on the surrounds, and also exteriors when a car goes left left to right you get the the, the surrounds being used for that nothing nothing flashier than that um a wee bit of ambience to help involve us in the scene uh rea the reality is though that the sound here is not trying to be the star of the movie i would say it's more like the technically competent technician and y you would basically only be aware uh of their work if it if it wasn't good the sound is very, very good. Good crisp dialogue. That's what it's all about. You don't want anything else to distract the audience. And I, I thought the sound in this was nice. Now, with this being based uh, in reality, I guess there's quite a bit extra material, or am I wrong? Well, in the extras, yeah. Well, first of all, I would say that probably the most important thing is the commentary. Uh, there's an audio commentary by Ron Howard, the director. And he, he, this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. So if anybody wants a kind of a master class in how you direct a movie, uh, it's worth listening to that guy. There's a featurette, of course. Um, uh, it's about 23 minutes long. 
tends to be more like a bit of a PR exercise for the movie. Um, it gives you a bit of behind the scenes. There's something that purports to be the real interview. It's, it's only about seven minutes long, and I thought, great, we're going to get a good chunk of the real interview. But in actual fact, oh, you get a little snippets. But you do get the the most riveting section of it, the bit about Watergate. Um, and there's a bit of commentary offered by Franklin Gala, Ron Howard, and Kevin Bacon. Now, there's a thing called Discovering Secrets, um, uh, People in Places Behind History. <clears throat> it's got interviews with the real people mixed with the behind-the-scenes footage from the production, including the filming that was actually done at Nixon's retirement home. Um, that's interesting. The other thing is the Nixon Library. Um, the Nixon Library is a place... Um, in America, uh, which is actually based uh, next to his childhood home and also uh, next to his grave. And it's staffed by people who actually worked with Nixon uh, while he was alive. And these people actually, they helped the production tremendously. So it's nice to hear it almost from the horse's mouth. You've got deleted scenes, as usual, about 30 minutes worth. Um, and there are uh, historical elements in there, Um that, uh, you know, uh, there's a running feature that focuses on the history behind the movie. It's one of the U-Control things called the Nixon Chronicles, and it's got footage of the president, including clips from the, the real interviews, and it's mixed with the historical facts that, you, you know, you get text blocks that pop up. Uh, that's, you know, for anybody who was too young to remember the actual event or who didn't pay any attention at the time it was going on, like myself, um, these help fill in the gaps, I was just wondering whether you felt that Langella's portrayal of Nixon was um, comparable to uh, Anthony Hopkins playing the same role. Yeah, I never actually saw um, the Anthony Hopkins version, but looking at it objectively, you've got two actors, very experienced actors, at the tops of the tree or the top of their tree. Um, and for me, the, the thing that comes out of it is to whether someone is believable um, and if at the time you're sitting there watching the movie and you're thinking wow this is a brilliant performance there's something wrong there because you're seeing it as a performance if you're sitting watching the movie just not questioning it at all your disbelief has been totally suspended you believe that you're actually watching the real person to me that's the that's um, that defines a really good performance, a really good actor. And I think so if any... Sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, is he portrayed more Machiavellian or, or flawed, as in Stone's film? Um, flawed, perhaps, yes. Uh, he doesn't come across as someone who was planning to do anything evil. It's just that he had to react and deal with situations as they occurred. And his character... Um, says that that he um, resents not having gone into Cambodia earlier and, you know, perhaps saving a few more Americans' lives. Um, and he's, he's ultimately he's totally believable when he says that. It's in his eyes. Um, just one thing about uh, Michael Sheen and the fact that he's so good at uh, your buzz phrase, inhabiting um, you know, the role of his characters. 
I just wanted to know that I can portray Maximus, Wolverine, Mad Max, Martin Riggs, James Bond, all <laughs> often within the same day. <laughs> and very, very convincingly, in you, my you, own mind. you know, pe- people think you're just joking, but um, you know, for for those no, listeners, you know me better than we, that. We went we went to Vegas this year, and believe me, uh, Chris dressed up as James Bond to go down to the casino. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> he really does. Just, do a, good, these just a good answer, our lowly bar in our hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, Alan, thanks very much for the review. I take it this is a big thumbs up from you? I would say there's only one phrase I could uh, use to describe this movie. One little word, wow. There you go. From the cat's mouth. So let's uh, move on. Uh, We've got Mr. Mouth uh, here again this month and uh, it's review time so uh, everybody can go and make a cup of coffee. Um, (laughs) I can't can't admit it. Mr. Mouth has just been on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, can't, I can't possibly compete with that he delivers the most thorough verbal reviews I've ever heard I've got, I've got to say I just mumble and forget where I'm going with it I forget the film I'm talking about usually whilst I'm discussing it <laughs> well, he but... speaks like I write right. <laughs> I bow down to him and his immense verbiage <laughs> okay, Chris, uh, we're, we're, we're going to talk about Dog Soldiers. I am so, not uh, sorry? You're not worthy. I am not worthy. Okay. Uh, Dog Soldiers, you've been looking at this one. Um, mm. t- tell us a little bit about the film. I think everybody here has seen it, but uh, you tell the listeners oh, a bit about the film very briefly. It's, it's a, an unparalleled cult classic, a, a low budget schlocker um, from, you know, from the hometown, from, from Britain. You know, it's, it's, it's great homegrown talent. It's the uh, the first full length feature from um, Neil Marshall, who is uh, certainly one of the most enthusiastic um, film fans who's turned a filmmaker, and uh, that I've ever come across. Um, wonderful stuff. His, his first two major movies, this and The Descent, were absolutely fantastic stuff. I've reviewed them both. Uh, I've reviewed Descent a couple of times on standard and um, on Blu-ray, and that was leaps and bounds ahead of it of dog soldiers but dog soldiers going back to it now is it's wonderful stuff it's um a group of british soldiers squaddies get put onto um a a training exercise in the scottish highlands and unbeknownst to them they're obviously being set up by special ops who have intentions of capturing a werewolf which happens to be running amok up in the highlands and chomping down on campers. Of course, we now know that there isn't just one werewolf, there's quite a few of them, and these poor guys get dropped into a tooth and claw hellhole and have to use all their wits and their training to survive. Uh, It's a genre fan's wet dream. You've got soldiers, you've got werewolves, you've got guns aplenty, much action, lots of gore. It's beer and pizza night in, isn't it? It's glorious stuff, low-budget, um... Highly ambitious, totally daft and irreverent in a lot of places. But, boy, does it move like, you know, a certain thing off a certain shovel. It's a great, great movie. Uh, You have got some fabulous small-time performances. Uh, You've got Sean Pertwee in there, who's, I always like him. No matter what dross he appears in, and there's been some on his track record, he's always a very likeable, down-to-earth sort of presence. You've got Kevin McKidd, who's his... um, it's just a private in this. Sean Pertwee is the sergeant in charge of this, this ragtag platoon. And uh, 
Kevin McKidd, who went on to much bigger and better things with Rome um, and various other movies that he's made since then, um, is, is the stalwart and stoic presence there. He's the, the guy who was training to be um, on this special ops team um, because he, of his refusal to kill a dog. Very important point in that, folks. Uh, his refusal to kill a dog in his selection process got him you know, booted back to his unit. Uh, very unceremoniously, but he's a man who sticks to his guns. He's also a bit of a combination between Rambo and Sergeant Rock, because this guy can take down anything that comes at him. So once these guys get dropped into the, uh, the wilderness, they very rapidly discover that um, a special forces team has been wiped out, whereupon they find the sadistic and evil Captain Ryan, who was the guy who booted um Kevin McKidd, who plays Private Cooper, booted him off the selection process, and he's ripped up, he's mauled, but he's alive, he's babbling, there was only supposed to be one, there was only supposed to be one, and you know, before you know it, night has fallen, there's howling all around him, and the shape's moving in the trees, and these guys, you know, they're seasoned professionals, but oh dear, you know, they're bricking it good style, making their getaway, you know, escaping evasion through the woods, they're picked up by Megan, um, a local, apparently, driving out in the woods on her own, having heard the gunfire and knowing that someone was in trouble. So then you have them arriving at the, the, isolated, the typical quintessential isolated dwelling place, middle of nowhere. They're going to have to hold up there till dawn and they're going to suffer the onslaught of the werewolves, who, by the way, are like seven or eight feet tall. They walk on two legs, as we all know the best werewolves in movies should do. And they're in for a hell of a rough night. So can we take it you liked it then? Oh, what gives, that, what gives you that idea? Yeah, it's great. It's it's a good, fun genre movie. And you can't beat low-budget enthusiasm. When it works great like this, you know, it usually is the um, the mark of big things to come. Sam Raimi, John Carpenter, the list is endless for like, you know, mavericks like this who just come out of nowhere um, have been weaned on movies, know their stuff. Of course, uh, Marshall went on to make Doomsday after me saying he was the, the great British hope for horror. So, and his new one, of course, is Centurion, um, which is, it's got to be, he's obviously taken this from the early scenes from, from um, Gladiator. He's got a, a group of Roman soldiers who are cut off behind enemy lines and have to fight their way back through. Uh, it's like he wants to bolt his name onto every genre going instead of just sticking to the ones that have made his name. Chris, um, obviously there's a lot of handheld work going on here, very grainy image, a uh, mm. lot, lot of stuff out of focus and so on. Do you, do you think that, that adds to the, the the feel of the picture? Do you think it gives it that atmosphere? Yeah, I do. Yeah, the, the film looks grimy, it looks dirty, it looks grubby. You're down in the trenches with these guys. Um, it's a long, misty, uh, horrible cold night and you know you get that feel there's not much light in the air in the area <laughs> if you excuse the day for night shooting that he's done with some of the early evening sequences um but yeah it, it's a it's a very grubby looking image it always has been and i think what you're getting at here is uh, how does it look on blu-ray uh, and the simple answer is it looks bloody awful on blu-ray but that bloody awful is how it should look <laughs> which is a great big irony because people are going to be looking at this and buying this with the, in a lot of cases with the expectation of seeing a nice cleaned up um, source print um, a sharper image um, a lot more detail and quite simply they're not going to get it 
No, if you put this on to someone who doesn't know, they're going to think, well, that's just a standard disc. Uh, it's not 1080p. And the thing is, it is 1080p. It is the same thing, and detail just can't be enhanced that much. There is a little bit more, but, you know, it's really nothing to write home about. There's no depth to the image. There's no um, three-dimensionality to it. So was that, you reckon that's what the director was aiming for, like a, a low-budget kind of 16mm blow-up kind of effect? Um, I think he was, but I also think he didn't have much of a choice because he wasn't... I mean, you know more about um, cameras and stuff that can be used and you know, what kind of budget you'd need to have them. But this was like you know, shooting on, you know, from the hoof, wasn't it, when he made this? It was almost guerrilla filming. So whether he couldn't really... Um, get the equipment he needed I'm not entirely sure I can't quite remember because I've, I've heard commentaries but I'm not entirely sure what it, the, the real saga behind it was I would presume he likes the idea of it being gritty dirty and um, very sort of muddy looking and it mm. certainly fits the tale without a doubt I, I would say that he's done this on purpose then yeah, it, yeah. It's, de- it's definitely a look um, and it does hark back to very gritty um 70s and late 60s movies you know for independent low budget schlockers uh, so yeah that, that probably is what he had in mind then the whole film has um, a very dark visual um, appeal to it it's meant to be nightmarish I mean let's face it an American version would be um, you'd have direct lighting on where it needed to be and you know it, it would look very sharp and clear and you know probably very beautiful but this doesn't reflect that kind of style. This wants to be in your face and make you feel, ugh, you know, you're there and it's not a pleasant place to be. And it works. And of course, but, one, of, one of the tricks is it makes the special effects look that little bit more realistic. Well, as we were saying before about the way he, he angles his, um, the camera towards the wolves and in the, the full length shots, he, he will tilt the camera away from their rather um, <laughs> big booted fairy big fairy booted feet um, so you know he knows what he's doing he knows his limitations and he, he angles away from them it's a very assured debut it really it really is and of course he, he went on exponentially in every department with the descent I've discussed the picture and let's talk about the sound which is a, a different story altogether um, Dog Soldiers now comes to Blu-ray with um, a Dolby Show HD 5.1 Lostus track um, which is surprisingly good given the limitations of uh, you know the sound design that he had in mind, Neil Marshall had in mind all along, you actually have got a fair bit of rear support taking place. You've got bullets zipping past you. You've got um, the rumble of explosions, which comes from the front speakers to the back. You've got some sub-action there as well. You've got some great moments where, uh, for instance, when the um, boys stumble across the special, special ops camp, which has been decimated, the light's failing, the sun's going down, and all of a sudden there's howling taking place and snarling from all around you. And the thing about it is it does sound distant, but it would do then. The wolves are not right close to them. They're further away, but they're getting in close. They're moving. Um, so you've got that effect there. Um, there's a, an off-camera uh, transformation takes place, which is uh, <laughs> gloriously old school. It reminds me of... Um, carry on screaming and stuff like that where someone would disappear behind a couch and then reappear periodically with a bit more fair stuck on their face and you have this off camera transformation but the camera is where the guy's transforming so we're seeing you know our main fellas at the other end so front and center but behind us you've got the sound snarling ripping clothes tearing 
sinews popping, and it's it's good. I, that, that's quite well done. That again, it's it's fairly subtle, but in the the overall mix. But at least they've had an effort at it. Um, this region locked to um, America it reads an A locked disc. By the way, um, there's nothing on it. No commentaries. No featurettes. No makings of. No deleted scenes. Nothing. We've had two versions of it before. Uh, both had com- great comedy tracks on the um, the UK one, with all the cast sitting there watching the movie and getting totally legless whilst watching it, um, which is exactly the way you should be when watching a movie like this. Um, but this disc has nothing barring a couple of Blu-ray previews, which is absolutely pee-poor and pathetic and um, criminal, to be honest, for a film like this. Uh, big fat naught for extras. This, is, is it worth getting over and above the SD versions? I mean, is it, if, if you've got an SD version, would you upgrade? Or if you haven't got an SD version, would you get this or would you go for the SD? Yeah, it's a bit of a tough one, that, because if you want the extra features, obviously you stick with the um, the SD version. There's not much of a visual upgrade on this at all. In fact, you know, on that basis alone, you're probably better off sticking with the um, the standard versions, which had reasonable 5.1 tracks as well. And... You know, the image quality certainly isn't far worse than what you're seeing on this, and at least you've got the extra features. So it seems a shame to be expounding about the, the, the virtues of Dog Soldiers when uh, it's finally made it to Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray really doesn't cut the mustard um, overall. Uh, I think when I re- scored this, I gave the movie an 8 out of 10, and I gave the overall thing 6 out of 10, but, you know... I, I've, not, I've marked it down whereas I gave Tango and Cash which again had nothing on it but I love the movie and the movie's worth getting the Blu-ray for just for the movie as I say but there's never been anything on a Tango and Cash disc before this Dog Soldiers has had other stuff so they've had the possibility of you know putting more material there and they've not gone through with it for whatever reasons licensing I don't know but there's nothing on this disc to you know to sweeten the deal so that's uh, Dog Soldiers on Blu-ray, locked Region 1 disc. Um, so Chris, is it getting a thumbs up or a thumbs down or uh, an average? Sadly, it's going to get an average. Uh, it can't possibly get any more. We, we know there's more. we know there's more material out there and they haven't used it. Uh, and the transfer isn't um, a step up, really, from the standard disc. Okay, well, uh, that wraps up our reviews for this month. We'll be back in just a second to tell you what's coming up on the website. At people with brains, visit avforums.com. So just to wrap up on this month's Movies Podcast, uh, we're going to catch up on what's coming up on the AV Forums Movies Review website. And uh, let's start with uh, Mark. Mark, what have you got coming up? Uh, I've got coming up Death Trance, Eden Log, Redcliffe 2, Lust Caution and The Beast Stalker. Okay, and uh, we'll move on to Chris. Chris, what have you got coming up? Uh, well, I've got Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which should be fun. Um, the Star Trek Six movie box set, which I really cannot wait for. And best of all, the good, the bad and the ugly, long postponed, long delayed, finally. You know, I'm going to get a chance to have a look at that on Blu-ray and give you the SP on that one. And Alan, what have you got coming up? Very nice selection this month. It starts off with The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. That's the Criterion edition I've got coming. I'm looking forward to that. I've got Grease, one of my favourite musicals. The Man with the Golden Gun, Roger Moore's James Bond. Licence to Kill, Tim Dalton as James Bond. And Valkyrie, the Tom Cruise uh, movie about the uh, attempt of the generals to kill off Hitler during the war. Um, Really looking forward to seeing that bunch of titles. 
And uh, just to wrap up, Simon, uh, what has everybody else got? Okay, Keith will be looking at um, Fox release, UK release of Silence of the Lambs. He's also looking at the Sony UK release of Seven Pounds. And for the SD fans out there, he's got a uh, trilogy, Scorpion Prisoner trilogy from Eureka. Imran um, looking at Taken. We've got Kaz looking at Enemy at the Gates, Driven to Kill, Spy Game, and another release of uh, Children of Men. This will be the uh, American release. And um, Jer, he's looking at the Skynet edition of Terminator 2. Okay, well, that's uh, what's coming up on the Movies Review website uh, this month. It's www.avforums.com forward slash movies. Go and read the guys' reviews. Also, stay in touch with what's happening on AV Forums, including all the new reviews as they are posted. That's on our Twitter page, which is twitter.com forward slash avforums. And if you want to send us an email about anything that we've discussed in this podcast or your thoughts on what's coming up movie-wise in the summer, then send us an email to podcast at avforums.com. So all it leaves me to do is to thank AV Forums review team for their time this evening and uh, their thoughts and reviews. And join us again next month for another Movies Podcast. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.